I really hate to do it, Joey, but I, I think it's time. You know, someone can only do you wrong so many times before you just have to dead them for life, before you say that <laughs> enough is enough. And that is the point that I've reached with Darius Slate and a man formerly known as Goatiest, but recognized as a young goat no longer. Okay, longtime listeners of the podcast will know that Darius Slayton has been an important figure for this show, for our brand, the Goatiest Challenge, the Adam Levitan bet, the, the endlessly hyping up of Darius Slayton. Countless times over the past 18 months where you, Joey, attempted to steal credit from me for you know, discovering Darius Slayton, you know, falsely claiming that you touted him first, uh, you know, a, a very untrue narrative proven false time after time, but it's time for me to give it up and I'm going to let, let you have him. He's yours. I, you know, I've been the humble proprietor of, you know, the Darius Slayton hype train for too long. He's done me wrong and, uh, and, and I'm done. <laughs> I mean, I'm right there with you, bro. Cause Darius Slayton, God, what a season. Uh, 17 weeks later, after touting Darius Slayton as basically our player, you know, someone that mm -hmm. we admired and drafted in every single best ball league, tried to get him in every redraft league, and he just let us down. It's that simple. Had a terrible season. Basically two good games all year. I will say I attribute most of that to Daniel Jones being just straight ass, so I don't want to put too much blame on him but at some point you just you just have to recognize that maybe he's not the player that we thought he was and he just let us down this this season maybe in 2021 he'll have a rebound year but it's over we no longer associate with Darius Slayton so we have to find a new player that's our next priority is finding the next player official player of the DFS Dose podcast. That'll be something that we can do in this offseason for sure, because uh, I know who it won't be. It won't be Darius <laughs> Slayton, a man getting outproduced by Dante Pettis and Sterling Shepard on, on a weekly basis. No shot. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 125 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we're going to be recapping a wild week 17 NFL slate from a DFS perspective. We're going to focus on the cash game decision points that you had to make this week, some of the high-owned plays and cash games. We'll review the million-dollar lineup on DraftKings, what it took to win a million on DK this week, and of course, we will close out the show by going over some record-breaking stats and storylines from the week. But before we do any of that, Joey, can you tell the people how to support the podcast? You can help support the DFS Dose by following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. That's where we tweet out links to all of our content. That's where we tweet out our videos, our clips, everything gets tweeted out over there. So make sure you are following us to keep up to date with everything that we are doing. Another way you can help support us is by making sure you are subscribed to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you use. So it's right under the, the name of the episode. Uh, it's free to subscribe. It helps us out a lot helps us reach new listeners so we would appreciate if you just do that another way you can help support us is by subscribing to us on youtube we're currently at 158 subscribers 
Uh, we post clips and videos over there. So make sure you are subscribed on YouTube at the DFS Dose. And then lastly, if you guys want, you can join our free Discord chat, which is linked down below in the description where we talk about DFS every single week. And then we're going to be doing playoff podcasts. So we're still going to be talking about the NFL in that DFS chat. So make sure you join. The link is down below in the description. Yep. Definitely looking forward to this, you know, supersized wild card slate. We will definitely be going over that in a full podcast later this week. So make sure you were followed on Twitter and, and everywhere else, so you know exactly when that's going to be coming out, covering a six-game wildcard weekend slate next week on DraftKings over two days. That'll be a lot of fun. But let's uh let, let's focus on this slate first. Week 17. A lot a lot of stuff happened. In terms of cash games, uh let's look at some of the guys who are highly owned. These ownerships come from the massive $25 single entry double up on DraftKings, and it was a really high scoring week in cash games, a lot of value and a lot of chalk that absolutely smashed. Some of the high owned guys on this slate, uh, no surprise, Derrick Henry, 67%. Ty Montgomery became the highest owned value running back at 54% late in the week after Kamara and Latavius and the rest of the Saints guys went down with COVID. Devontae Adams, 45%. Jonathan Taylor up there as well, 41.8%. And then uh, sort of the second tier of chalk, I would say, were, were the guys in the 20s, Justin Jefferson, 20 27.5% Ty Johnson, 24% Marvin Jones, 21%. And then sort of the final tier of guys that were on, guys like uh, LaVisca Chenault, Richie James, Donald Parham, all between 17 and 19%. Kirk Cousins was the chalkiest quarterback on this slate at 32.7. So much value on this slate and so much chalk hit that the cash line was just out of this world, 172.5. That might be the second highest on the year just off the top of my head. I think it's the highest it's been since week one when the salaries were super soft. Soft. And, and yeah, Joey, how did you do on the week? Did you surpass 170 points in cash because you needed to to have even a semi-decent mm-hmm. week? Of course I did. You know, this was a week where if you were doing your homework, you were grinding, you most likely profited, right? And like you mentioned, all of those high-owned plays were the best plays on the slate with Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, Justin Jefferson, and some of the other guys. So the build was pretty obvious uh you could have went in two directions which we'll talk about and both of those directions worked so specifically with my lineup i ended up scoring 179 points 10 points good enough to win about 51 percent of my head-to-head so it wasn't a good lineup for head-to-heads but ended up cashing in all but one double ups uh, just some random ten dollar single entry double up which was an anomaly where the cash line was 180 which was surprising so i didn't cash and that, uh, which is unfortunate, extra $20 that could have been in my pocket, but nonetheless had a profitable day on DraftKings, had a couple good tournament teams, but to win a tournament in this week, you needed like 250, 240 if you were in the higher stakes stuff. I My best lineup was 207, so didn't even come close to that. Min cashed in a lot of tournaments, uh, went about 50%, six out of my 12 tournament lineups cash. So not a bad day overall, but not a great day. And, you know, just just wish I could hit a tournament. I don't know. I, I got to improve on tournaments next year. I might become a GPP uh, guy next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, definitely something, a good goal to have. That's that's where the money is uh, these days uh, in DFS. I had a pretty good week as well, right behind you, about three points less, but good enough to get the job done, 176.34 on DK. 
It was good for a 53.7% total win rate across cash games. I cashed in all my double ups, won about 48% of my head to heads, but because of the double ups, I was able to, you know, have a profitable week in cash games. Also, when things weren't looking so great towards the end of the 1 p.m. slates, I tilt entered some uh, afternoon only cash games as well. And I had the Stone Nuts had over 200 points in that lineup, which, you know, helped pad the week as well. Didn't really get any damage done in, in tournaments, you know, had some lineups that might have been good in other weeks, you know, 180, 190, but that just was not getting you anything other than a min cash this week. So, you know, average day in the tournament streets, but did well enough in cash that I feel good about it. Let's uh, let's talk about the two builds that you referenced because I think that there were, like you said, two really clear and obvious directions that you could have gone in cash games. And it was the main decision point on the slate. And it's where did you really feel comfortable finding your value in these lineups? We talked all week about how it was going to be a stars and scrubs approach. You know, the optimal was clearly jamming both Adams and Henry into your lineups. And to do so, you were going to need to find value. And the obvious ways to do that were by either playing two value running backs or playing two value wide receivers. You went the route of playing the value running backs and paying up for Justin Jefferson. I went the route of playing the value wide receivers and paying up for Jonathan Taylor. Now, since both of those guys had good games, that wasn't really necessarily the important part of uh, the equation. It was really which of the value guys you selected. Obviously, we had profitable weeks. We we found the right guys, but just talk about the process behind choosing to prioritize Justin Jefferson over Jonathan Taylor. Was it because you liked Jefferson more than Taylor, or was it because you liked the value running backs more so than the value wide receivers this week? Yeah, I definitely think it's the latter. Um Justin Jefferson, I thought was a great play. I thought Jonathan Taylor was a great play and I wanted to play both in cash, but obviously I couldn't fit it. Yeah, it just came down to which build I felt better about. And I felt better about just paying down to two value running backs that I thought were going to have decent workloads and had some upside in the passing game on their offenses with Ty Johnson and and Ty Montgomery. Those are the two value running backs I played. And I wasn't really comfortable paying down to two cheap wide receivers. I ended up playing Gabe Davis and we'll talk about that shortly, but I wasn't comfortable with playing him and let's say Richie James or Josh Reynolds or LaVisca Chenault, who I know ended up getting there, and Jerry Judy ended up, ended up getting there. But from a process standpoint, for me, I didn't really want to play any of those guys just because they were all on dead teams attached to bad quarterbacks. That was mainly my reason for running the uh, two-value running back build over the two-value wide receiver build. Uh, but like I said, both ended up working out. So I guess it didn't really matter in the end. I I probably would have scored more if I did go the Jonathan Taylor route and would have won some more money, but I'm fine with where I ended up with Uh, with my lineup and it ended up working out so yeah um i mean i think that there was a third path to viability in cash games too which would have been to not play Devontae adams and and go more balanced Mm -hmm. playing justin jefferson and jonathan taylor because honestly they were two of the strongest plays on the slate i I prioritize jonathan taylor and we'll talk about him a little bit more in depth later when we go over all these record-breaking performances but to me taylor just especially as the colts line became the highest on the slate and, and just the spot against the 
this Jacksonville defense. It lined up too perfectly. He was a clear priority for me. And the thing that was the deciding factor, I think, was the Cam Akers situation that, you know, you and I debated it on the podcast whether or not we thought he would be active. It was kind of a 50-50 shot when we recorded the preview episode on Friday evening. And then late Saturday night, there was a Schefter bomb. It might have even been Sunday morning by the time it came out that Cam Akers was likely to try and play, which by the way, I mean, what kind of reporting is that? That's like the most non-information, you know, <laughs> laden sentence I've ever heard. He's likely to try and play. Like, yeah, you don't say Adam, but you know, that's neither here nor there. It really threw Malcolm Brown into a spot where you just really couldn't play him. Now, I, I kind of thought that Ty Johnson was the best pivot. He was the same price. I didn't really have to change the build that I had kind of gotten attached to. Not that I wouldn't have, but I thought Ty Johnson was a really strong play. He'd had multiple six-target games in spot starts before. The Jets had shown a willingness to give him the ball, give him the bulk of the carries. He had 22 touches in a game earlier this season when Frank Gore was out. So I thought with you know the combination of a receiving work and the Jets having shown that they were willing to feed him, I thought... Ty Johnson was the play. I know you played Ty Johnson and you also played our other Ty, Ty Montgomery, who who I faded at, at massive ownership, 54%. And uh, he had a pretty good game, went for over 100 yards rushing, finished with 14.7 points on DK at the Stone Min, 54% owned in double ups. So, um, you know, Ty Montgomery, maybe it was a fishy fade. I don't know. You can talk on that. But to me, I, I faded guys like this all year that I just simply didn't trust. Guys like Brian Hill in the past at the min price as chalk. And simply being chalk is not a reason for me to play you if I don't think yeah. you're good. And I just felt better, you know, going after those wide receivers, Lavishka Chanel, Gabriel Davis, etc. Ty Montgomery was definitely shaky. And I mean, I agreed that he wasn't that good of a play. But with my build specifically, I had to play one of Ty Montgomery or Rodney Smith. And they both kind of ended up being the same play. Uh, Ty Montgomery outscored him a little bit. And he really just got there because of the 100 yard bonus. He ended up with 105 yards on the ground, only had one catch. And I thought Ty Montgomery was a fine cash play because I thought he would have some theoretical catch upside with him being a former receiver, but surprisingly only got one catch, got a touchdown vultured by Taysom Hill, which was the most predictable thing of 2021 so far. <laughs> uh, so he ended up being all right, wasn't a smash. You know, I, I think it was a good fade, especially since you still won. That's the thing in cash games. If you truly think somebody is not a good play, you, sh you know, you shouldn't play them. If you truly believe they aren't, don't play that player just because they're going to be chalk. And I think that's something that we kind of honed in on uh, for yes. the 2020 season with some notable fades of guys in a lot of the time they worked out. So yeah, I, I agree with that. That's definitely a change in my play this year was feeling more comfortable about fading guys that I simply didn't believe in. And, you know, so just out of curiosity, because I, I didn't talk to you about this pre-show, but you know, did you play Malcolm Brown originally waiting for the news on Cam Akers and then pivoted to Ty Montgomery? Or did you make the decision ahead of time and just rolled with Ty Montgomery? Like, would you have been okay fading Ty Montgomery if Malcolm Brown was still in play? Yeah, I, I would have preferred Malcolm Brown if Cam mm -hmm. Akers was out. But since we didn't get that news, I ended up just pivoting before lock to okay. the Gabe Davis and Ty Montgomery build, and thank God I did, because Gabe Davis, yeah, Jesus, 
boy, ran hotter than the sun <laughs> with Gabe Davis because this man was putting up a donut up until the fourth quarter, right? Yep. Fourth quarter comes, a little 50-yard catch. All right, he has six points. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Eight minutes, seven minutes left in the game. Bills are already up by 30-plus. Matt Barkley, 55-yard touchdown bomb to Gabe Davis. We get there on two catches, gets the bonus, Scores a touchdown, his best game of the season, highest uh, reception yards of the season, 21 points, ran hotter than the sun, and if he doesn't do that, we don't cash today. So Yeah, I mean, so shout out to Gabriel Shout out to Gabe, because... He saved our week. He did. He's real for that. And, you know, let's give ourselves a little pat on the back, right? Like, we did the work on this. I tweeted Joe Biscaglia, uh, you know, probably the most trusted beat writer in Buffalo this morning. Asked him whether or not he thought Gabe Davis would be part of the squad of guys that got rested. He said no. He figured that Gabriel Davis would be on the field the entire game, you know, and that really kind of made me feel like Gabriel Davis was the best of the value wide receivers. And you and I, like we said, you know, we were comfortable getting away from some of the other chalkier guys, guys like Josh Reynolds, Richie James, and that same price range who were both higher owned than Gabriel Davis. Davis was under 5% owned at cash games and we both landed on him. And uh, yeah, I mean, he didn't get there maybe in the way we thought he would with the volume and, you know, with Steph Diggs and them resting as the starters did play the full first half, but you know, it doesn't matter how we got there because we got there. We identified the right play. We jammed it in and we sailed to the money. That's a fact. So shout out, shout out to Gabe Davis. Shout out to you for tweeting that Bill's uh, beat reporter getting that information that we needed. And mm-hmm. yeah, he was about 3% owned in double up. So nobody was on it. He he ended up not being chalked. Some of the guys below him were chalking. They all ended up busting. So worked out. Gabe Davis for the win. I'll take it. Uh, let's move on here into the million dollar lineup. Uh, what it took to win a million dollars on DraftKings. This week's Millie Millie winner comes from user D Thiele 7 he had a monstrous 267.6 points in this lineup it was a Minnesota game stack Kirk Cousins Alexander Madison and Marvin Jones hit on his one-offs Jonathan Taylor Jerry Judy with the clutch ending that 90 yard garbage time touchdown bomb had Brandon Cooks and AJ Brown as correlated pieces from the Tennessee Houston game and survived a couple of duds in a lineup that put up over 260 imagine that Mike Kosicki with under 10 points two points out of the Jets defense. All in all, just a monster lineup, 118% cumulative ownership. And this is something that you and I talked about specifically on the Friday show when we were talking about how to get different on this slate. It was very easy to foresee. All you had to do to get contrarian was simply build a balanced lineup. No Henry, no Adams, attack the upside in the mid-range. And that is exactly what D Thiele 7 did uh, in this lineup. And he's a million dollars richer. Yeah, so shout out to him. A very solid lineup all around. Jonathan Taylor was a smash play. We didn't touch on Kirk Cousins in the in the cash game section, but he ended up being a great play at 6,300. I ran him in cash games, 37 points. Uh, just a phenomenal game from Kirk uh, in a meaningless game. Marvin Jones, God, that boy snapped. 41 yeah. points jesus mm-hmm. and he had that egregious touchdown uh called back yep. the agree it was an egregious call i should say not the touchdown catch uh egregious call on him he could have had a monster day if he scores that third touchdown and he won it on that aj brown 50 yard uh catch with 10 seconds left in in yeah. the titans game so shout out to d Thiele. just speaking on aj brown again i thought he was a gpp lock 
7200 tweeted about it before the slate locked and he just snaps against the texans i don't know what it is but if he plays the texans he's going for 20 plus guaranteed no matter what and it seems like all of the titans do whenever they play the texans and if you just targeted guys playing the texans this year you most likely profited no cap because god they are just terrible and then your boy brandon cooks uh had the best fantasy performance of the day 42 points on DraftKings of the number one overall scorer at 6,900. So the balance build worked out. I played Brandon Cooks. I played AJ Brown. Like that correlation a lot. Um, it was a great lower owned correlation. And yeah, just a great lineup overall. And what a way to end the season. A uh, million dollars richer for D. Feely. Man, Brandon Cooks. Is there anything this guy can't do? His fifth 1,000-yard receiving season on his fourth different team since joining the league in 2014. I mean, what a stone alpha. Nothing but respect for Brandon Cooks. I mean, he's still a beta, but he turned it up to end the season for sure. Two games with above 30. Won somebody a million dollars like both weeks, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean... Dude's a moneymaker. He's a printing press. Swear to God. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's get into the interesting stats and storylines section of the podcast. And today we're going to be focusing on record-breaking performances because there were a lot of them. And let's start off with a guy who's caused us a little bit of pain. Or, you know, frankly, I should say we caused ourselves some pain because it was our own disrespect of this man that got us where we are today. But Jonathan Taylor rushed 30 times for 253 yards, set a single game rushing record for the Colts franchise, finished his rookie season with 1,151 yards, 11 touchdowns. And man, look, we called him Trent Richardson 2.0. It's on tape. You can find it on youtube.com. If you look up the DFS dose, there are videos from October and November that people go on every single week and comment and tell us we're donkeys for these old takes about Jonathan Taylor. I want to clear the air here, put it on record, you know, admit it. We were wrong. JT is the real deal. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a take that we, we have to accept responsibility for. Like you said, we get comments on two month, three month old videos or clips just absolutely talking trash about us, saying that we know nothing, saying that we're not going to go anywhere, saying that Jonathan Taylor is the GOAT, right? And I just got to give it up to him. He turned up. He proved us wrong. He was not good to start the season. But if you stuck with him, if he helped you get into the playoffs in the last couple of weeks, if he helped you win a championship, this is a guy that's going to be a first round pick next year. And rightfully so. Like he just straight up turned up in these last five games, right? Ended up with over a thousand yards on the season, 11 touchdowns. This is going to be a a great fantasy player. We were wrong about him. That's what the people in the comments want to hear. We were wrong about Jonathan Taylor and we accept that. So if you guys want to keep on commenting, uh, hate comments, do it because it helps us, helps our (laughs) engagement. But just know we we do accept responsibility. No trolling. Yeah, y'all were right. And uh, I imagine that we'll both have Jonathan Taylor ranked pretty highly. Just, you know, without thinking about it, how high do you think he goes in 2021 drafts? You said first round. Do you think he's a top? six pick do you think he's a back half of the first round type guy i mean he's un- unquestionably going to be going in the top 12 
of yeah. drafts. Definitely going in the top 12. If I had to guess right now, I think he goes 108, 110 range. That That's just a, just a pure guess, obviously. I think there are some running backs that are going to get drafted above him. But I think he leapfrogged guys like Zeke, Josh Jacobs. Mm-hmm. Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders, Kenyon Drake. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe Aaron Jones. I don't know about that one. We'll have to see when draft time comes, but I could see him leapfrogging Jones, especially since he's a free agent and could go to another team. I think he's leapfrog all those guys and he'll just be behind, obviously, the the CMCs and the Saquons and the Camaras of the world and the Henrys, but he's definitely a first round pick and he was a league winner and he's made us a lot of money in DFS, which I think a lot of the people in the YouTube comments don't understand that we focus on DFS and right. we've played them a bunch. Like, yeah, I mean that that's fine. <laughs> I don't expect them to understand that. It's okay. Check the results. I'm not sweating their, their opinions. I think it's funny. It is funny. No, it's, it's really funny. Cause then we just troll them back and then they get mad. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so, so keep it coming. I mean, that's fine. But let's stick with this theme here of talking about some record-setting rushing performances. Derrick Henry needed 223 to hit the 2,000-yard mark on the season, and he got 250. Became the eighth running back in NFL history to rush for 2,000 yards in an NFL season. And Henry is a guy who has been polarizing specifically in the DFS community because of the way that he gets priced up on these sites and his lack of production as a receiver is going to make him, you know, not project the best in most models. I mean, it was only very recently that it became accepted to play Derrick Henry in cash games on DraftKings. Before that, it was like considered a legit donkey play if you ever even considered him, you know, above 8K on DraftKings. Now, he's been so good that even you know the the number one haters have come around to Derrick Henry and started touting him on a weekly basis. But the thing that these people who hated on Henry for the longest, you know, what they failed to realize is that this is a legit Hall of Fame running back dead in the middle of his prime right now. Yeah, that's a f- freaking fact. Derrick Henry is just a different beast, bro. And yeah. he is. I don't. I don't want to say you know underutilized, but he he's like one of the most undervalued players in DFS because you have a lot of these pros that just don't play Derrick Henry week in and week out, even in great spots. And maybe it's because he doesn't catch passes, but this is a guy that can go off for 250 and two in any given game, in any given matchup, no matter how good the run defense is. He he's just a he's just a different breed. Really not much to say about Derrick Henry. Incredible season, back to back rushing titles for him. And their contract that they gave him looks like a steal right now. It was like four years, fifty million dollars. Mm-hmm. Usually you don't pay running backs. But with Derrick Henry, a guy that you can lean on late in the season and to just pound teams over and over and over again, it just makes all the difference in the world for the Titans. So contract looks like a steal. He's a great player. Derrick Henry, the big dog. That That's just my son. Like, yeah, he, he's just one of my favorite players in the NFL. And I, I played him a bunch this year. So no wonder why I had a profitable year because Derrick Henry snapped this season. Yeah, I mean, he is probably like the most physically dominating offensive player in the NFL right now. And maybe over the past couple of years, he's just a man amongst boys. He He's crazy to watch. I love watching him play. And yeah, I mean, two back-to-back rushing titles hit the 2,000-yard mark. He solidified his spot as a Hall of Fame running back, I think, with this performance today. Um, So we'll see what he's able to do 
in the postseason. Interesting matchup against the Ravens next week, and we'll talk. We'll touch on that during <laughs> our wild card preview podcast. Man, so the records they just kept getting broken today. Let's turn our attention to a few that came out of this incredible rookie class. A pair of men named Justin. First off, let's start with Herbert, who became the youngest player in league history to throw for 30 touchdowns. He set the rookie record for passing touchdowns with 31, the rookie record for total touchdowns with 36, which passed Cam Newton's rookie record. And then Justin number two, Justin Jefferson for the Vikings passed Randy Moss's rookie receiving record for the team and Anquan Bolden's receiving record for the most yards of a rookie wide receiver in the Super Bowl era. Justin Jefferson now holds that record with 1,400 receiving yards exactly on his rookie season. Look, I know that offensive rookie of the year is almost always awarded to a quarterback, it seems like a shoe-in, especially for Herbert this season with the records that he set as well. It's hard to imagine that he didn't lock that up today, but I mean, man, Justin Jefferson deserves some kind of recognition. Like, is there any way they could split this award down the middle? I think there can be co-award winners. Like, there's mm. been co-MVPs, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it happened one time, and I know it happened within the last 30 years in the NFL. Uh, would have to look that up. Don't have it on hand right now. But I, I think they can do it. And I think they both deserve it. Especially if you take a look at what they had to go through with the offseason. They had no offseason, right? Barely any practices because of COVID. They had to do all of their stuff through Zoom calls and online meetings. Like no OTAs, no mini camps, nothing like that. So when you just look at both of their seasons, it's just incredible. Especially with Justin Herbert, who wasn't even going to start until the doctor shot out to that doctor punctured Tyrod's long Justin Herbert wasn't even going to start and then he comes in sets all new records for rookie quarterback so it's like how can you not give it to him right then you look at Justin Jefferson comes in as a rookie wide receiver like I said no practice no OTAs nothing fifth wide receiver drafted yep. too fifth wide receiver drafted comes in breaks the rookie wide receiving yards record with 1400 has an incredible year on a run first team that's the crazy part on a run first team that features Delvin Cook, he broke the rookie record for receiving yards. So if you just look at both of them, it's hard to pick one. Obviously, it's going to go to Justin Herbert. Anybody with a brain knows it's going to Herbert because it's going to the quarterback. Well, we need to lead the charge. Let's lead the charge <laughs> right now and have these guys be co-offensive rookies of the year. I looked it up. It's happened twice in our lifetimes for MVP. In 1997, it was Brett Favre and Barry Sanders. In 2003, it was Steve McNair and Peyton Manning. I don't see why it can't go to these, you know, both of these guys this year. Offensive Rookie of the Year, it's well-deserved for both of them. They both had incredible seasons. Let's share the love, man. 2020's had enough <laughs> negativity. We don't need to put one of these, you know, amazing young men down. Let's prop them both up. You heard it here first on the DFS dose. <laughs> Co-Rookie of the Years. I mean, why not? Who, who says they can't, you know? Yeah, come on. It's all just, you know, uh, some made-up shit anyways. Yeah, let's, facts. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's give it to both of these guys. All right, let, let's close out our record-breaking talk here with some Bucks wide receivers, specifically Mike Evans, who became the first wide receiver 
in NFL history to start a career with seven straight 1,000-yard seasons. I mean, goddamn, talk about consistency. That's Mike Evans for you. He went down with an injury shortly after setting that record, which was unfortunate. Bruce Arians said that he doesn't expect that leg injury to be serious. That's definitely something that we will have to monitor throughout the week that'll definitely uh, impact the coming wildcard DFS slate. And we'll definitely touch on that on Thursday. But just from an overarching perspective, how do you view this offense going into the playoffs with Mike Evans in a potentially precarious situation? We have Antonio Brown looking like the old Antonio Brown, you know, showing us that big chest, putting up 11 for 138 and two today, just a vintage AB performance. And then Chris Godwin, who's an impending free agent, kind of, you know, showing the rest of the teams out there why he's worth a monster contract. And he's doing it week after week today, five for 133 and two touchdowns as well. Brady's playing well. This offense is clicking on on all levels. Is this a team that you think could make a legitimate run based off this amazing core group of offensive players? Yeah, I think they have all the pieces to make a Super Bowl run this year. Like you mentioned, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, all great wide receivers. And then, I mean, you have the GOAT in January now with Mm -hmm. the best skill group of players that he's ever had in his 20 plus year career and then factor in that the Bucks also have a solid defense they're not as good as they were early in the season but they're still pretty good they can rush the passer uh they are kind of vulnerable in the secondary but I think they can get the job done and this is a team that I would bet on to at least make the Super Bowl I think they can go into New Orleans I think they can go into Green Bay and beat both of those teams I think the Bucks are probably the most well-rounded team in the NFC. And if I had to lay money on the NFC winner, it would definitely be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Maybe that's just my Tom Brady bias, but I'm just never betting against Tom Brady come playoff time. And this offense looks to be clicking right now. They're firing on all cylinders. They just got Ronald Jones back this week. So they should roll over whoever uh wins the nfc east in the in the first round in the wild card round next weekend and then after that it's go time for tom brady so yeah this is this is a team that you want to that you want to bet on and play in dfs in these next coming weeks for sure i mean if you want to get the odds right now it looks like they're the fifth in terms of you know being favorites for the super bowl plus 1000 on dk sportsbook to win it all and i mean i could definitely see them getting there this has been an up and down team. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I could see them become disappointing as well, but they seem to be hitting their stride at the right time. Plus 1,000, there's definitely worse odds out there. I mean, it'd be hard, I think, to look at Tampa plus 1,000 and look at Buffalo plus 700 and, and not think that the Buffalo is a better bet after their backups just dropped 50, you know, points on a on a former playoff contender. But I mean, I, I don't know. I don't hate the Bucs as a, as a prospect to bet for a Super Bowl future yeah i mean i think they could win the super bowl and i think they have a very good chance of getting there so that's my stance on the bucks maybe we see bucks versus bills i could see it Eh, i still think it's uh it's the chiefs to be in the afc and i don't think anybody's beating them but i will say i think the only team that can contend with the chiefs is the bills but trust me it would not be surprising to see the bills get knocked out in wild card weekend because when that would be surprising when you have the most faith in the Bills is when they are going to let you down in the hardest way. So wow. just keep that in mind. Mm-mm. Don't say that too loud. You'll have Bills <laughs> Mafia breaking down your door, you know. <laughs> 
dragging you out into the street by, by with torches like yeah i'd be i'd be careful saying stuff like that with your window open where we live <laughs> that's that's a fact <laughs> all right that is going to be it for episode 125 of the dfs dose podcast we appreciate uh, everybody's support throughout this regular season it's been great i think it's been our best year as a podcast but you know, we'll recap the year and everything that we have done and what we're going to prove upon for next year and all of that after the playoffs conclude because the grind does not stop. We will be back on Thursday with a preview of Wild Card Weekend. Got the super Wild Card Weekend with six games. That'll be fun to break down. So, you know, don't don't unsubscribe. Don't get crazy. We'll be right back in your podcast feed next week. Like Joey said at the top of the show, you can support us in a couple of free and easy ways. First off, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're a couple subs away from 160. Been trying to hit that benchmark, so help us out there. You can subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We're on every podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Addict. We're getting on Amazon as well this week. That's a promise for you Amazon Mm -hmm. listeners out there. And of course, you can join our Discord channel for free as well. Link to join that is in the description. If you want to support our personal Twitters as well, you can follow me at Ben Hover. B-E-N-H-A-U-V-E-R. Joey, tell them where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at DFS. All right, guys, we will talk to you on Thursday. Hope you had a profitable week 17, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you then.